Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hi again, friends. Thanks for joining us this week on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. My name is John Russin. I'm the host. I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman, and hopefully I've given you enough time to swallow your walnuts, my friend. How are you doing today? Doing very well, John. Looking forward to talking about this little tiny book that shouldn't be neglected. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Well, friends, what he's referencing is the subject of our current probably short series. You know, honestly, when Frank and I start these things, we don't really know how long they're going to continue. This one is on the book of Philemon. And if you've been listening all along, for the past four months or so, we've been talking through what we call the one another's life in the body of Christ. Frank's and my perspective on kingdom living today, not kingdom living in heaven, but kingdom living today. And so we decided to unpack this little book, the epistles to Philemon, because as we see the dynamics of the relationships in this book, we see the one another's, those imperative impossibles, those commands from Jesus and the epistle writers to live supernaturally. And friend, we have spent the last episode talking about a little bit of the history of the the book and the background, what's going on. But here's the, the basic digest. We've been looking at this as Paul is approaching a very touchy situation. He's already shown us some of the ways that the one another's in people uh, should work. First, he works to protect. He draws a really tight circle around those involved. And the second one, and Frank, you and I talked a lot about this last time, the importance of relationship in dealing with an issue relating to conflict. And Paul spends a lot of time strengthening and reestablishing, reconfirming, really, the relationship between him and Philemon. And then this episode, we're going to talk about the relationship between Paul and Onesimus and Philemon and Onesimus. So, Frank, if you can, sum up for us in a snapshot uh, mm-hmm. just the importance of maintaining love and understanding and relationship as we deal with these difficult circumstances. Yeah, ultimately, John, I think we'd have to point first to relationship with Christ because he wants to save us with his life, Romans 5. He is our life, Colossians 3. And when we are in an interpersonal relationship with other human beings and things don't go well, People let us down, they deceive us, they betray us, they steal from us. It's very easy to function out of our physical life and punish someone, shame someone, guilt them into the proper behavior, or simply just cut them out of our lives altogether. Yeah, that's the easiest way. Oh, goodness. And yet here in Christ, we have the opportunity to lay hold of him in such a way that love governs everything we do. 
even if it's discipline, even if it's confrontation, even if it's restitution that we're after, but it will be done with love in such a way that the other person knows they're being loved and that they themselves are being called to a life of faith in Christ to work in and through them. You know, we've got this guy, John, he's a slave owner, Philemon. He's got a slave, Onesimus, who steals from him and runs away. Of course, trying to hide, he runs into Paul, of all people, in the city of Rome. Oops. And then Paul heads him off, leads him to Christ, shares Christ. We need to think about this, John. Sometimes I think we brush over it. When Paul sends Onesimus home, that was a tremendous act of courage on the part of Onesimus. Because when he got home, Philemon could have executed him. He had every right as a Roman citizen to just kill Onesimus. It was a tremendous act of faith on Paul's part, because Philemon could have said, Paul, I don't care what you say. I'm in charge here and done that. So this is a very delicate thing. I don't think we should read it without the seriousness of what could potentially happen here. This is a huge deal. And, you know, let's add Philemon. One more thought. He could take Onesimus back, and Onesimus could have been playing a game the whole time, steal from him in an even greater way, and then run off again. So within this, what do we call it, threesome, there's potential for uh, eruption, explosion interrelationally. But the thing they've got going Each of them has the life of Christ, and each of them is walking by faith, and each of them is going to be expressing the love of Christ through them to others in a very delicate situation. That's right. Uh, Paul knew the heart of Philemon because he was his spiritual father. He knew the heart of Onesimus because he was now Onesimus' spiritual father. (laughs) And could it have gone south? Certainly it could have. But I believe that Paul trusted the Holy Spirit in each of those two men so that they would seek the best for each other. And that Mm -hmm. something beyond what anybody could have hoped would come from uh, Onesimus' courage to return home and Paul's faith and Philemon's willingness to listen. Wow. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of moving parts here. Let's look today, Frank, at how Paul exactly approached Philemon. We talked last time about how his first words to his friend were to remind him of their deep friendship, their intimacy, their shared ministry, the blessings that they saw, the love and joy they had together. And so that was the foundation. But then he steps in and he says this in verses eight and nine. He said, I could command you to take him back, Philemon, uh, but Mm. because I love you, I appeal to you, Frank, this verse is so rich. I could have swung the club and I had every right to because I did it in Corinth. (laughs) I did Mm. it in Galatia. You know, I I could do that. God's given me that ability. But I love you, Philemon, and I've learned to love Onesimus. And so I appeal to you. Wow. Mm. How often do you see that in the ministry, Frank, over all your years of being Mm. a pastor? You know, so many in in the church leadership and pastors, of course, and and I understand, John, I really do. Uh, They're answering to a greater call. 
they are usually fighting more for people than people want for themselves. And it's very easy, plus the ego and wanting to be successful, not wanting to fail. And before you know it, you've become a little dictator instead of a shepherd. And the thing about sheep, you can't drive them. If you drive them, you will scatter them. And the Apostle Paul, this hard-charging Pharisee, Sanhedrin, club-wielding guy, has walked with Jesus for decades now and has become a shepherd. And he realizes he knows the sheep and uh, he can't drive them. So he appeals and he appeals, of course, as we saw last time, out of a mutual love relationship that they share. And he draws that life that is in Philemon out of him. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. It certainly is. You know, I look at this, Frank, as a, uh, I put on my chancellor hat and I look through this and I ask myself, had Paul stepped in with his club, what would that have communicated to Philemon? I've been in that situation. And so I know exactly how he feels. I don't trust you, Philemon. Hmm. I don't have any value in you. I'm going to give up a chance to teach you. I'm just going to tell you what to do. I don't really accept your decision-making because I don't trust it. You're insufficient for this. And I'm not even going to pray for you and hope there's any chance you'll hear father's voice. I'm just going to step in. Let me handle this. You're not up to it. My goodness. What would mm. that have done to the relationship, Frank? Mm. Yeah, I would have driven it apart. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13, John. Love hopes all things, believes all things. So what Paul was really doing there was saying, I don't just hope that you'll do the right thing, Philemon. I believe in you. And John, in my years growing up, I can count on less than the five fingers on my hand how many people there were that said, I believe in you. And when somebody said that to me, oh, it just made me want to bust myself to prove them right, to please them. Howard Hendricks, you know him, John. Yeah. He was one of the great Christian orators of the last century, tremendous teacher. But I heard him share his testimony. And apparently it was a troubled home. He was a problem child. They were passing him in school just to get rid of him. He entered into the sixth grade and the teacher called roll. And it was, you know, typical Johnny Smith here, Sheila Jones here, Howard Hendricks. Yeah. And she said, <laughs> Howard Hendricks? So you're Howard Hendricks? Yeah. Then she said these words. I've heard a lot about you, but I don't believe a word of it. And Howard Hendricks credits that woman with saving his life and turning him around. He said he wanted to bust himself for that woman to put a smile on her face. And then he went on to say this. It was funny. He said his previous teachers would come to the classroom and he'd look at them through the little glass window that they had in classrooms, you know, and he would say they would be marveling that there was Howard Hendricks sitting at his desk, fully clothed, doing his work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. The power of a positive word. You know, that's why Father, you know, he, he speaks only the truth to us. He calls us saints. He tells us stuff about us that's true. I mean, look at how he handled Gideon. Hail, mighty warrior. 
Mm. You know, he just spoke the truth because he knew what was inside of Gideon. He knows what's inside of us. Paul knew uh, what, or should I say, who was inside of Philemon. And he says, Frank, mm. he says, I appeal to you. And in, in, in my brain, it registers like this. Philemon, I'm deferring to you in this. Mm. I willingly stand aside and I await your decision. And these are the words that popped into my mind that just kind of nailed me. I trust your judgment, Philemon. Mm. You know, what a powerful thing to say to someone. For the past couple of years, I've been making it a point to say that to people. I trust your judgment. Whatever you choose, I'm good. But what a powerfully enriching phrase to speak to someone. And that's how. That's how Paul began this nightmare of a dynamic uh, triangle. I trust your judgment, Father. And wow, <laughs> you're right, man. I don't even know how many times I heard it, but certainly fewer than five in all my elementary years as well. Yeah. You know, John, it was interesting you brought up Gideon. I have heard pastors use that passage and say that that angel was slamming Gideon, mocking Gideon, trying to shame him into performing better. Hail, valiant warrior. How sad, because I think that's filtering through their own thought processes and experience, because we've got an entire Bible that reveals that's not how God does it. He brings life out of people. He calls us saints. He calls us soldiers. He calls us his beloved children. He calls us the accepted ones. He's always calling forth what's true of us, even if we don't believe it's true. Uh, that's wonderful. And you know, another guy who I think that caught the message was Matthew. When Luke and Mark both wrote their Gospels, they said, and Jesus saw a tax collector. When Matthew wrote his Gospel, he yeah. said, and Jesus saw a man. And, you know, this is that same thought, John, that we see in Philemon. We see these one another's being lived out. Speak the truth to one another. Speak life to one another. Love one another. Fight for one another. You know, all these different one another's we went through, I can't even remember them all. But that's what Paul's doing for Philemon. He's calling out his true personhood. And it's, it's wonderful because this situation could have been disastrous and we'd have had been reading a very different book. That's right. We might not have even been reading it. Paul's heart, he doesn't just stop with one encouragement. Uh, verse eight and nine, it says, hey, because I love you, I appeal to you. He moves ahead. In verse 14, Paul writes, I didn't want to do anything without your consent mm. so that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but, but of your own accord. In other words, Paul realizes that had he said to do this, Philemon would have obeyed, but maybe not from the heart. What an honor. I, I don't want to do anything without your consent because I want your goodness to come out. So Paul waited on the sidelines and gave Philemon a time to shine. Wow. Verse 21, he continues as if Philemon hadn't seen the first two reminders. He says, hey, man, I am confident of your obedience. 
I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. And so he's saying, I trust that you will hear Father God clearly. And I trust that no matter what he tells you, you will obey him. And I'm at peace with that. I'm resting. I trust your judgment. I'm good. Wow, my friend, I don't see any arm twisting, no backdoor coercion. I see Apostle Paul, who wrote almost half the New Testament, lifting up a nobody here and honoring him above himself and giving him a time to shine. Wow. Mm. And John, that's the one another from Philippians 2. Esteem one another. That's right. And, you know, the apostle could have commanded. Instead, he empowered and he instilled a life and he drew out the true heart. And boy, it's just beautiful to watch. John, there's a great lesson here for all those who are parents out there. As the big, strong parent, we can demand conformity. I don't want conformity. I want life from within. I, I want to reach the heart. And that's what Paul's doing. And you know what's amazing? It it's works with adults as well as kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it certainly does. You know, trust is a powerful, a powerful message to send. You know, as I've lived all my years, I've learned that relationships that are based on trust, uh, when that trust is based in Christ and Christ in each of us, those relationships will be fruitful because I not only trust you using you and me as an example, I trust God in you. And if you're doing something stupid, I trust father will tell you that you're doing something stupid and that no matter which decision you make, we'll be able to work through the decisions because we trust God to do all things and to work it all out for us. You know, my friend, I don't have to worry. If I were Paul, I wouldn't have to worry about this. I release this into the hands of our father. And I trust Christ in Onesimus. I trust Christ in Philemon. And I can just stand back and watch the miracle unfold. My goodness. Beautiful, beautiful picture, isn't it? In the end, what he's doing is he is working himself out of a job. (laughs) If he had to be the commandant, he's constantly going to have to be there. He's constantly going to have to be watching. But by leading people to understand who they truly are, by leading people to Christ as their life, he can back away and let them live. And John, that's, that's what this thing is all about. It's growing up, raising up. The whole thing about accountability groups, boy, that's always a big deal oh, in the yeah, church. Oh, yeah, boy. I, I hear those all the time, and they make me cringe. Yeah, I cringe. The only time you're going to be accountable to me is if you're in my presence. And you know what? You spend a lot more time out of my presence than you do in my presence. So isn't it better to instill into you that I believe in you, that I trust you, and that I can say to you, I know your heart, because the New Testament says you have a new heart. And I actually believe that's true about you. So I can release you. Isn't that wonderful? That's really cool. And you know, I I sense humility in Paul also, because even though he winds up writing so much of the New Testament, and he has such an amazing testimony and role, even in our lives uh, today, 
Paul might have misjudged Onesimus too. And so he sends him on, uh, not knowing, maybe, as you said, uh, maybe it was last episode, Onesimus might have been pulling the wool over everyone's eyes. And so Paul is not certain either, so he doesn't assume he knows everything, but he trusts the one who does. All right, my friend, let's jump ahead. We've just been talking about how Paul treated Philemon. Let's change now and let's see how Paul interacts with Onesimus. Uh, we mentioned this last time. Scripture does not tell us why he ran. He doesn't say hmm. that he stole anything. He, he just assumes that he stole something because there's a debt involved. Um, so uh, all this, I assume, came unpacked when he accidentally, quote unquote, <laughs> ran into mm -hmm. Paul in Rome. But this is a secret conversation between the shepherd and the runaway sheep. This is the shepherd leaves the 99 and go finds the one again. So that what happened that led Onesimus to run and what he did and everything that happened between Colossae and Rome is a conversation between that person and the shepherd and none mm. other. Wow. When you talk to God about this stuff, it's, he protects you. He puts it in the vault. He doesn't hold it against you because his goal is not to shame you. It's not to make you feel bad, not to embarrass you in front of people, make you confess in public. His goal is to protect you because he wants more than anything to restore you to where you were, where you were before. So when I don't read anything about what Philemon did, or what he stole, or how long it took Paul to work this out, I see the heart of a shepherd toward a runaway sheep doing everything he can to protect what that boy did, because that's no longer who he is. Wow. Mm. That's the kind of protection I want in my life, my friend. Yes, John. And I was listening to you, and I, I had this thought. Over the years, we've had that opportunity and privilege to play that role. And I just want to elaborate for just a second on that. You know, a lot of times when people have done some really bad things, they've made really bad choices, and they've got some nasty consequences, they can find it very hard to believe that they're not damaged goods, to believe that God still loves them, and believe that God even wants to restore them. And so when we step in and get to play that role, uh, people have actually told me, uh, you know, I could believe that God forgave others, but I, I couldn't believe that he would forgive me. But when I felt and when I experienced how you treated me, it was easier for me to believe that that was how God was treating me. We get to play that role of restorer comforter with skin on. And it's one of the most powerful things that we can do in ministry is that ministry of acceptance uh, and that ministry of identification of calling forth their true self. That's it's right. powerful. You know, Paul calls that the ministry of reconciliation. Yeah, wow. exactly. You know, to say, hey, God says to you, I've removed every barrier between me and you. It's all taken care of. Every sin, everything is, is already paid at the cross. 
will you now freely come? There is no obstacle. And what a picture for, uh, for Onesimus to see in the Apostle Paul. Paul says that we have a father-son relationship. Basically, Paul is saying, hey, he came lost. He's now found. I led him to mm -hmm. Christ. I became his father while I'm sitting here in prison. Oh, by the way, I'm your father too, Philemon. So guess what? The dynamic of your relationship between you and your slave is now changed because I'm your father. I'm his father. So guess what? You are now brothers. You're now, <laughs> you know, you're now mm. totally equal. So in that one little phrase, I'm his spiritual father. He's telling Philemon, hey, man, mm. the ground rules have changed with this. And you need to look at him through different eyes, too, because he's not a piece of property anymore. Well, I mean, legally, in Rome's eyes, he is a piece of property. But in God's eyes, he's on a level playing field with you. You're both brothers. You're equal in God's eyes. Wow. Mm. Uh, I tell you, man, when somebody hurts me, the natural response, the worldly response is, uh, is to say, well, they hurt me because they're inferior in some way and I'm superior because I, I got to feel like I was wronged because they hurt me. But this is not what Paul does, is it, Frank? He just, my goodness, he just steps in and says, here's the new playing field, Philemon, you are brothers. What that's going to look like, we'll talk about that the rest of the letter, but that's the first thing you have to accept. How does that change the dynamic of any painful relationship, Frank, when you realize that you're, you're brothers? Yeah, it removes what happened in the relationship and places the focus on the people that are in the relationship. And as bad as the things are that happened, the person is more important. People are always more important than policy. They are those that Jesus died for. And Peter tells us that their value, their worth is the immeasurable blood of Christ. And, you know, I like to do this, John, where I ask people, are you a child of God? If I were to say that to Philemon, he would say yes. And I would say, well, is Onesimus a child of God? Yes. Well, what do you call the child of a king, the son of a king? Well, you call them a prince. So you're Prince Onesimus, you're Prince Philemon. How do princes treat themselves with honor, dignity, respect? They would never wallow in the mire. And then we say, how do you treat a prince? Well, you treat him with honor and dignity. So it, it lifted this natural plane of relationship, slave to slave owner. We could use the language of employee, employer, uh, teacher, student, policeman, driver. <laughs> but whatever the relationship the bond of believers lifts that relationship to a higher plane and a higher function within that plane, which we still may have to follow law and still may follow protocol and still follow policy, but it's going to be done with love. And that's the key issue. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Listen to you talk, Frank. I'm thinking about uh, how our father approaches us. He tells me that my sin and he are as far as the East is from the West. He doesn't even talk about it. It doesn't enter into any conversation we have unless I bring it up. And then he says, huh, what you talking about, boy? 
Mm. Uh, I, I don't remember that. It's, it's not a matter of importance in our relationship. And when I look at how Paul introduced Onesimus, he didn't talk about what he did. He didn't mention what he talked about. He just said, hey, let me tell you about the resulting relationship. Let's talk about the fruit that I see in this boy. You know, you mentioned mm. uh, running through the list of the one and others. Paul hit a bunch of them here, my friend. He said, I accept it. I don't judge him. Mm. I'm patient with him. I'm not slandering him. I'm not grumbling about how much of, his, of a pain he's been to me as much of a pain he's been to you. I'm not doing any of that. In fact, he says, he's formally useless to you, but I tell you, man, <laughs> he is useful to me. All he talks about now is the fruit in Onesimus's life. That's what's mm. important to Paul. It's almost like what he did. Of, of course, they have to restore and, and forgiveness and they have to talk about restoration and what have you. But as far as relationships concerned, that's behind Paul now. Wow, what an example for us to have what the life of Christ looks like when someone offends us. My goodness. Mm. John is reflecting on that idea of useless because I'm in the counseling arena very often. And very often I hear people saying, why am I here? What's my purpose? I, I should just go home to heaven. And yet, listen to that language. He was formerly useless. He's an unbeliever. He has forsaken his creator. He prefers to function as God instead of depending on God. Useless. Doesn't matter how much you do, what kind of business you build, how much money you accumulate, how big your house, how many cars you have. You're useless. You're forfeiting the purpose for which you were designed. But the moment a person comes to Christ, Oh, my goodness, all of that changes. Restored to your creator, God. Restored to his purpose for creating you in the first place. That you would be in relationship with him. You would become his ambassador to the world. Because you are his address. He now lives in you to express himself through you. Talk about significance. And Paul called that out for all of us to see. Any useless man or woman can instantly become a treasure, a purposeful man or woman in the kingdom of God with a mission. Because, you know, in Jesus in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, what did he pray? Don't take them out of the world. Don't let them go home. Keep them here. They have work to do. And the work is that we too now become the agents of restoration. Powerful stuff, John. Yeah, you know, and when Paul writes his letter to the Colossian church, of course, those two letters were delivered together. At the end of that letter, Colossians chapter four, he calls Onesimus a faithful and beloved brother. Wow. Wow. No mention that, hey, he's the guy who run away. He's the guy who stole XYZ from Philemon and his family. He just says, man, the guy is a beloved brother. And let me tell you how faithful he has been. So as far as the rest of the Colossian church knows, Onesimus is the newest person on the team, period. And Paul yeah. drew that little circle around uh, Philemon's family so that nobody else had to know. 
Right. Wow. What an incredible heart. What an incredible example of one anothering that we mm. see between Paul and Philemon and Paul and Onesimus. My goodness. Last words, Frank, before we wrap up today's episode. Well, you know, as I listen to you, John, I can't help but pop in my brain. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. So now live new. And, you know, as we've listened to this thing, talked it over, walked through it, you can't help but apply it. Who's out there that I need to restore? Who's out there that I need to tell them I believe in you? Who's out there that I need to play a part in their lives in terms of drawing out their true self in Christ against what they are thinking in terms of the things they've done and the shame and guilt they're feeling? I'm an agent of restoration. And every one of our listeners out there who are in Christ, you are an agent of restoration. And it's time for us to function in that role and lead people away from the guilt and the condemnation and the shame to their true purpose and design by God for them to become as well the agents of restoration, the ambassadors of his kingdom. Amen. But you know, my friend, there's a little bit of a step that has to happen before we can do that, because sometimes we don't want to trust others. (laughs) So there's a lesson and a growth and a releasing that has to happen in our lives as we trust our father. And then we learn to trust him in others. So sometimes there's some pretty deep homework we have to do. And well, you know, Psalm 139, uh, our favorite verse over the past couple of years, we've been doing this podcast, invite father in to search us and show us Hey, Father, where am I not trusting you and Mm. not trusting you and others? I want to change that. Uh, I want to say routinely, I trust your judgment. I'm Mm. with you. I'm in your corner. Let me know the miracles that Father does. My goodness. Amen. Amen and amen. Uh, Dear friends, you've been listening to uh, Frank and John on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. And we've been talking about uh, the practical aspects of the one another's, seeing them fleshed out in the really small but powerful book of Philemon. Uh, check out our website, if you will, please, ourresolutehope.com. Pop us an email, sign up for our newsletter. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we've got a number of books for sale through Amazon. Just search under Frank Friedman. You'll find them there, including our latest, Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. And uh, follow us on our social media platforms. We've got a bunch, Facebook, Instagram, our YouTube channel, which gets more and more stuff every day. And of course, uh, iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon Music, whichever is your favorite for podcasts. And as always, we close with the same reminder we always do from Hebrews chapter six, that we have a hope as an anchor for our souls. Uh, Peter calls it a living hope. Frank and I, we call it a resolute hope. And that hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to our Resolute Hope podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com 
and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.